0: Hello, I'm Tony Collins and this is the Rugby Reloaded podcast. The Toronto Wolfpack play their first game at home this season on Sunday. So to mark the occasion, this week's Rugby Reloaded will look back at the forgotten history of rugby league in Canada before the Wolfpack. The roots of rugby in Canada go back more than 150 years, just like in the rest of the English-speaking world. A short-lived football club was formed in Montreal in July 1865, but the first permanent organised club were the Hamilton Tigers, who were established in Ontario in 1869. But the driving force behind rugby in Canada was Montreal's McGill University. In 1874, it challenged Harvard University to a two-game series. At that time, Harvard played under its own football rules, and the first match was played under Harvard rules. However, the second match was played under rugby rules, and interestingly, it was also played 13 players aside. The success of this game caused the Harvard men to abandon their own rules and embrace rugby, and that ultimately led to the development of American football. By this time, rugby was arguably the most influential sport in Canada. Rugby also had an important impact on the early rules of ice hockey, According to Canadian historian Michel Vino, the first set of ice hockey rules drawn up by the father of the sport, James Crichton, stated that the puck could not be passed forward and that when the puck went out of bounds, it had to be brought back into play with a type of line-out. Indeed, most of the players involved in the first recorded game of indoor ice hockey in Montreal in 1875 were rugby players from McGill University. But, as in America, the official rules of rugby union were questioned by Canadian rugby players. A Football Association of Canada was formed in 1872 to draw up an agreed set of rules for Canadian clubs to follow. However, the scrum quickly became a controversial part of the game and many clubs in Canada started to play a version of rugby without a scrum. And this evolved over the next 20 years into what is today Canadian football. And if you want to know more about the development of Canadian football, take a listen to episode 32 of Rugby Reloading. The Canadian football game gradually reduced the size of teams to 14 players and eventually 12. Goals were reduced in value and tries increased. More importantly, and illustrating the way in which solutions to the problems of the scrum and what to do when the ball carrier was tackled were actually a global issue for rugby codes, Canadian football developed what became known as the scrim, whereby the tackle player got to his feet and played the ball backwards to a teammate. This predated by a couple of decades many characteristics of rugby league's play of the ball. So Canadian football set off down the path that rugby league would also go down in the future. In evolutionary terms, the two sports are close cousins. But off the pitch, the Canadian game was still resolutely amateur, and this meant that there was absolutely no possibility of it linking up with rugby league in Britain. Its sporting philosophy remained the same as rugby union, but its sporting practice was more like rugby league. However, rugby league did make one very fleeting appearance in Canada in October 1907, when a Northern Union rugby club was set up in Strathcona, a district of Edmonton in central Canada. But because the other rugby clubs in the region only played rugby union, the Strathcona club was forced to switch to union rules just to get a game. The next recorded appearance of rugby league on Canadian soil took place in September 1928, when the Great Britain Lions played two exhibition games in Vancouver and Montreal on their way home from touring Australia and New Zealand. Nothing happened as a result of these matches. There was no follow-up whatsoever. However, in a completely unrelated matter, in 1929, Caledonian Athletic Rugby Club, a team based in the mining communities of Cape Breton in eastern Nova Scotia, appointed an Irishman called John McCarthy as their coach. He transformed the team by playing a brand of rugby based on rugby league tactics. Such was the success of McCarthy's tactics that his Caledonian side dominated the McCurdy Cup, the championship of all the maritime provinces in eastern Canada, and also the McTier Cup, a tournament which also included eastern Canada's elite university teams. John McCarthy was not just the leading rugby coach in Canada, he was also a prominent rugby journalist and recognised as the game's leading thinker. He had played league in England and coached all of his teams to play rugby league under rugby union rules. As the Canadian rugby historian Doug Sturrock wrote in his magnificent book, It's a Try, The History of Rugby in Canada, McCarthy demanded that all players in his teams, whether they were backs or forwards, could run, pass, tackle and avoid a tackle. Impressed by McCarthy's success with Caledonia, in 1933 Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia, one of Canada's leading rugby-playing universities, appointed him as its rugby coach. McCarthy switched Stelhauser's internal matches to rugby league rules and transformed the fortunes of the university rugby union side. However, the outbreak of World War II in 1939 undermined the strength of rugby in eastern Canada, which became a vitally important region for the war effort in the North Atlantic. Canadian football was played extensively in the Canadian Army and Navy, and the entry of America into the war in 1941 also brought American football. Both games quickly attracted spectators and new players, often from rugby. Desperate to recover rugby's popularity, in October 1943, the Halifax Rugby Union in Nova Scotia made the momentous decision to switch to rugby league. In November 1943, a letter arrived at the Rugby Football League offices in Leeds from John McCarthy, telling the RFL that the Maritime Provinces had decided to convert to Rugby League. He asked the RFL to send copies of the rules to Canada and, perhaps with a sense of relief, told RFL Secretary John Wilson that there is no game to best Rugby League. It was the middle of World War II and there was little that the RFL could do to support the Canadians. But in 1946, the rugby strongholds of Nova Scotia, New Brunswick and Prince Edward Island kicked off the first full Canadian Rugby League season. The new game was quickly hailed as a success, having, in the words of the Halifax Herald newspaper, speeded up play and eliminated much that was deadly dull under the old Rugby Union code. Initially, league more than held its own against the other football codes and its popularity led to Rugby League being adopted by all schools in the region. There are even Rugby League matches played in the Rugby Union strongholds of Vancouver and Victoria in Western Canada in 1946 and 1948. Between 1950 and 1952, League was also played on Vancouver Island by Jarvis Bay Athletic Association, led by Sid Gaunt, a Canadian who played for Rochdale Hornets in the 1930s. When they were forced to switch back to Rugby Union, Sid coached the side to outstanding successes. In 1950, the Victorian Rugby Union even asked the English Rugby Football Union if they were allowed to play the game under Rugby League rules. The RFU sent a telegram back immediately expressing our concern and the experiment was quickly dropped. Despite this encouraging start for rugby league, Canada in the post-war years was very different to the inter-war years when rugby had thrived. The growth of radio and then television brought Canadian football into homes across Canada, offering a sport that, along with ice hockey, symbolised Canadian national identity at a time when the link with the British Empire was breaking down. In 1954, British RFL Secretary Bill Fallefield visited Canada and found the game in very poor health. But even knowing that drastic measures had to be taken to support the game, he still refused to invite a Canadian national team to play in the first Rugby League World Cup that year, as the French Rugby League had suggested in 1953. It may have been too late to have made any difference... Adult Rugby League in Canada came to an end in 1955, but international competition was the one thing that Rugby League could offer that Canadian football could not. Rugby Union understood this fact well. The 1948 Wallabies and the 1954 All Blacks had both played in Canada on their way home from Europe, hoping to boost Canadian Rugby Union. In contrast, no touring Rugby League team ever stopped off in Canada in the 1940s or 1950s. Despite the death of Adult Rugby League in Canada the game still thrived in schools and universities until the mid-1960s. Even elite private schools played the game. Almost unbelievably, for a sport with such a working-class image as rugby league, King's Collegiate School in Windsor, Ontario, the oldest private school in the English-speaking world outside of Britain, were school rugby league champions in 1958 and 1959. In the winter of 1961, St John's School of New Brunswick toured England, Unfortunately, it was a notoriously bad winter, but St John's did play one match at Stanningley, where a photo of the team could be seen in the clubhouse for decades, and also as a curtain raiser match before the 1961 Boxing Day derby between Castleford and Featherstone Rovers. It wasn't until 1969 that Rugby League finally ceased to be played in Canadian schools. So by 1970, Rugby League in Canada had essentially died. It flickered briefly back into life in the 1980s when a short-lived Tri-State League was set up, and Canada played sporadic internationals throughout the 1990s, most notably in the 2000 Rugby League Emerging Nations Tournament. But in 2010, the Canada Rugby League was established, and the game began to take root once more. Four years later, plans for a Toronto team were announced, and in 2017, the Toronto Wolfpack played its first ever match. John McCarthy, the Irishman who did so much to establish Rugby League in Canada in the 1930s and 1940s, would have been a very proud man indeed. Let's hope his dreams are fulfilled and that rugby league can finally throw off its reputation as the sport that never misses an opportunity to miss an opportunity. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Rugby Reloaded podcast. If you want to follow me on Twitter, my name is at Collins Tony, and if you want to dig a bit deeper into the history of rugby and the other football codes, take a look at the Rugby Reloaded website at www.rugbyreloaded.com. Until next week...